Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about falls outside of their traditional scope of interest. Fine, that's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it. (sighs) Yeah, you might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. Apologies early on, listener. We are we're having a day. A day, yeah. That is exactly what I said to my friend in Canada and boss Brian when I talked to him today. I was like, "Listen, I'm having a day." It's a day, and I yeah. didn't elaborate at all. But I think he already knew that because I had been very snippy and needing a well, lot of affirmation. You're going on vacation, though. Yes, so. I think this is because I am going on vacation mm-hmm. tomorrow. We're leaving for California, and like. It's really hard to sit there and do work when you know that, like, tomorrow you'll be in California. This does not matter tomorrow. Yeah, and there's obviously a lot of stuff that has to get done before you leave your job for a week. Um, Or even a day. Yeah, and one of the people above me is also going on vacation this week. So, um, and I'm not going to say anything at all about the California weather because last time I went on record on the podcast you did. I single-handedly flooded the state of California. Yes. So, I'm not going to speculate at all. Good vibes only. California will be California. It'll do what it'll do. It's supposed to be bone-achingly hot here. So, yeah. It's been annoyingly brutal like sandwiched between days that are very mild oh, and yes. lovely, like surprisingly lovely for the time of year and where we live, I have been shocked by how mm-hmm. nice it has been. And then the sun will just be like, ha, I saved it for you. I'm going to yeah. give you three days worth of sun you, in you one You just day. never know what you're going to get when you wake up. Yeah. Thanks, Tennessee weather. Yeah. Do you have anything to update us on before I ask you a very important question? I don't think so. I Oh, I had my summer concert experience. Oh. Much like you did. Tell me about Tegan I, and Sarah. Yes, for my Mother's Day gift, Brandon got me tickets to see Tegan and Sarah on their Crybaby tour in Nashville at the Ryman. It was glorious. They're just so real. I, and so great. And I'm I so love glad them you got so to go. much. <laughs> I've been listening to them since high, since high school, and it was just so great to see them. And they, like, would talk in between songs about what inspired them, and it was just it was just like I was hanging out yeah. with my friends. At one point, Sarah was going on about something, and Tegan just left the mic and went and sat down by the drums. Like, <laughs> I'm going to let you go for it, sis. <laughs> um, it was really, really great and lovely. Yeah. So, that's nice. Well, hopefully I'll do something interesting in California, and I can come back and tell you about I it. I bet you will. Well, I have a very important question for you. Lay it on me. Do you use the Oxford comma? Oh, absolutely I do. (laughs) Me too. Which is, in my mind, the only correct way to proceed. Yes, but we are American. I... British. Well, it's called Oxford. Shouldn't they be using it? They're a little more loosey-goosey across the pond. It clearly originated over there. Well, they named it. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. This is one of the things we're going to talk about this week. We're actually, as Americans, traditionally a little more strict with our conventions than 
the Brits, which is very interesting because they're they're a touch uppity and we're you know just like revolution. Yeah, but I guess when you're the island that like spawned the entire language, and if you go back and look at some of that old and middle English, it's like, oh, this is where you're coming from. I see. <laughs> I see your confusion. <laughs> That's fair. I ask you about the Oxford comma not only because I I needed affirmation that you use it because. Absolutely. I love it and hate when it's not used. Um, but our book this week is a book about punctuation. Yep. Not even just grammar. Punctuation. punctuation. We mm-hmm. went really narrow. It's, <laughs> yep. it's pretty niche. It is. <laughs> yep. I chose it because I thought you might hate it. It's a whole book about punctuation. It is quippy, but it's still, still about a punctuation. Whole book about punctuation. <laughs> so, I don't know. You gave it two stars. You haven't even told us what the book is yet. Oh, shoot. <laughs> no, it's a it's a nonfiction book about punctuation. How, how do I even summarize it? Well, here's the title. The title is Each Shoots and Leaves. It's by Lynn Truss. You don't have to summarize it. It's, it it yeah, has no summary. It's a book about punctuation. So I, I can give a brief summary. It's, um, it's a mixture of instruction and humor and personal anecdotes. Mm-hmm. Each chapter is about a different punctuation mark. I have the chapters here listed. There's the apostrophe, the comma, semicolons, and colons, which always get lumped together, and they don't do the same thing. But anyway, that's just me. (laughs) Exclamation marks, question marks, italic type, dashes, brackets, ellipses, hyphens, and then this one is my favorite because it dates the book the most. Emoticons. Yeah. <laughs> that one I was like, oh. This book, it if is... you're annoyed with those, just wait for gifts. <laughs> yeah, this book is 20 years old. It oh, was really? Published in 2003. So wow. that can put that in some perspective for okay. you. Okay. I, I did wonder a couple of times, man, when was this book published? And instead of turning to the front of the book that I was holding okay. and looking, I just went, ah, oh, wonder, wonder. <laughs> it's much more fun for me to reveal it to you and see <laughs> your face. Reveal, yeah. Um, I can definitely see that it is a not recent book. Right. Um, 2003 doesn't feel like it was 20 years ago, but mathematically it yeah, was. Anything like after 2000, I'm like, oh, that was just a couple yeah. years ago. It's like, oh, no. <laughs> so... What do you think I so gave it? I think book? you gave it two stars. I think maybe it was not a one because it was occasionally funny and made you laugh, but in the end, it's a book about punctuation. What started as like a four for me because of the mm-hmm. humor quickly dropped to a two. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did really like the humor and right. the tone. And I have more so than any other book, this is so surprising, more so <laughs> than any other book passages I would like to read. Oh, good. I, I was hoping <laughs> you would have passages. Which is like a nonfiction about punctuation. I have the most passages to read aloud. That's okay. Get ready. Look I'm at, so ready. Look at all these sticky notes. Those are some beautiful pink sticky notes in my old, old copy of this book. I haven't read it since I was in college, so it's been a hot minute. The first Funny mo- I read the foreword, which I'm really glad I did, because we've discussed in the past, like, oh, do you read the preface, the foreword, the right. introduction, all this stuff? And I was like, listen, it's a short book, and it's nonfiction. I probably should just go ahead and read the whole thing. And I'm glad I did, because this book has a foreword written by Frank McCourt, who is yes. the author of Angela's Ashes, yes. which, as far as I know, is not a humorous novel. No, it's a memoir. <laughs> and... <laughs> I just think of The Office. The Office. <laughs> uh, who's your favorite character? Uh, Angela? Angela? No, The, the Ashes. ashes. 
Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's not a funny book. But no. here, in the foreword, we have from Frank McCourt, There are heroes and villains in this book. Oh, you never thought such could be possible? You never thought a book on punctuation could contain raw sex? <laughs> was yeah. like, my next quote is from the preface. Yes, there's a foreword and a preface. Oh, yes. Well, the foreword, you know, is by somebody else. Mm-hmm. And the preface by the author. Okay, so this is the author talking about, like, when her mom was talking to her about the book. And so she says, When my own mother suggested we print on the front of the book for the select few, I was hurt, I admit it. I bit my lip and blinked a tear, yet I knew that she what she meant. I am a writer, after all, who once wrote a whole comic novel about Lewis Carroll and Alfred Lord Tennyson and expected other people to be interested. Oh, yes, <laughs> I have learned that lesson the hard way. <laughs> and I... Thought that you would enjoy that. I think that's called Tennyson's Gift. I'll have to look it up, but I was looking at a list of all you the novels. You actually know about Well, I was, in preparation for the podcast, I was looking up other things that Lynn Truss had, has accomplished, so. And uh, part of her preface is after she published this, maybe not after she published this book, but after she started, like, doing more stuff like, in the media about punctuation, people mm-hmm. would write into her and be like, look at this sign that I saw. A lot of it was in Britain, but then... She says, my American correspondents, however, have made it pretty clear that the U.S. is not immune to similar levels of public illiteracy. (laughs) Carved into stone, in stone, mind you, in a Florida shopping mall, one may see the splendidly apt quotation from Euripides, judge a tree from its fruit with an apostrophe, not the leaves. Uh, From it is fruit. (laughs) Yeah. It's Florida, and I just felt like that needed a mention. Yeah. It seemed like Florida would. Oh, there's more to this. Um... And I can all too easily imagine the stonemason dithering momentarily over that monumental apostrophe, mallet in hand, chisel poised. Can an apostrophe ever be wrong, he asks himself, as he answers, nah, and decisively strikes <laughs> home, <laughs> and the chips fly out. <laughs> yep, He's like, it's probably right. That's one of those things where you check first. If yep. you're going to put it in stone, yep. you just, like, check with someone else and go, is there an apostrophe here? And I yeah. think about these things all the time. When I write an email, I don't know how other people don't, but I must recognize I am not other people. So, <laughs> In the first page of this book, she uses the examples of, like, people saying CDs, videos, DVDs, and books, like, on storefronts right. with apostrophe S yes. after all of these things. And she says, if this satanic sprinkling of redundant apostrophes causes no little gasp of horror or quickening of the pulse, you should probably put down this book at once. By all means, congratulate yourself that you are not a pedant or even a stickler, but you are happily equipped to live in a world of plummeting punctuation standards and just don't bother to go any further. (laughs) Yeah, that's when I knew. I was like, oh, this book is for me. Actually, when I knew this book was for me was the dedication. Did you read the dedication in the front of the book? I don't think I did. You should turn back to the dedication. Okay. This is when I was like, oh, yes, these are my people. This? Yep. Okay, the dedication for this book. To the memory of the striking Bolshevik printers of St. Petersburg who, in 1905, demanded to be paid the same rate for punctuation marks as for letters and thereby directly precipitated the first Russian Revolution. Yep. That's amazing. (laughs) I was like, cool. I'm going to read this. Later in the first chapter of the book, 
She's talking about like punctuation sticklers. We refuse to patronize any shop with checkouts for eight items or less because it should be fewer. And we got very worked up after 9-11, not because of Osama bin Laden, but because people on the radio kept saying enormity when they meant magnitude. And we really hate that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's my last one. Well, that might not be true. Her quippiness is in abundance. Yeah. She says, it's tough being a stickler for punctuation these days. One almost dare not get up in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I liked this quote because it refers back to another, not necessarily another book, but another author that we've studied or talked about on this podcast. Studied, I guess. I mean, sure. Every time a sentence ends, there is a full stop, which is what the British call a period. Right. (laughs) Or a full stop substitute, such as a question mark. If you resort to full stops all the time and don't use anything else and keep very short sentences, people who have read the King's English will accuse you of spot plague and perhaps also assume you are modeling yourself on Ernest Hemingway. Oh, yes. And I liked that. Yep. He's known for his short, concise sentences. (laughs) Yep. Um, Another quote is, Nowadays, the convention for starting a new sentence with a capital letter is so ingrained that word processing software will not allow you to type a full stop and then a lowercase letter. It will capitalize automatically. This is bad news, obviously, for chaps like E.E. E. Cummings. <laughs> oh, yes! Um, and as I wrote that in my notes, I had to go back yes. and uncapitalize the E, E, and oh, the C. that poor man. <laughs> mm-hmm. I wonder what Lynn Trust would make of chat GPT. Oh, goodness. Yeah, she should write, like, an updated version to this. 20th anniversary edition. Yeah. Where are you at? Yeah. You have this one uh, underlined. Okay. Um, So this is talking about how many jobs the apostrophe does, which, by the way, is more than I realized. Yes. There are, like, 17 legitimate uses for an apostrophe. Had no idea. While she covers all kinds of punctuation, I feel like the apostrophe is what made her write this book. Yeah, for sure. She has the most love for it and also the most ire for people misusing it. Yes. And so there was a long chapter about the apostrophe. Mm -hmm. One might dare say that while the full stop is the lumpen male of the punctuation world, do one job at a time, do it well, forget about it instantly. The apostrophe is the frenetically multitasking female Dotting hither and yon and succumbing to burnout from all the thankless effort. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, thank you, past me, for underlining that. Yeah. Yeah, I was, when I was looking up stuff about this book, obviously a lot of the reviews were old. Yes. From when it came out. But I did find one in the Irish Times from 2021. Okay. And I loved this. It's by Brian May. He points out, she waxes more passionately about the apostrophe than about any other punctuation mark, believing it, quote, has always done its proper jobs in our language with enthusiasm and elegance, but it has never been taken seriously enough. Its (laughs) talent for adaptability has been cruelly taken for granted. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, hang on now. We are talking about a punctuation mark, aren't we? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And he goes on, but I thought that that was funny. I guess this is a British phrase? I don't know. But she's talking about, like, when you open brackets... Or mm-hmm. open any other kind of, like, bracketing quotation like mark. parentheses. Yeah, and, like, don't close it. Yes. Um, in dramatic terms, it's like putting a gun on the mantelpiece in Act 1 and then having oh. the heroine drown herself quietly off stage in the bath during the interval. It's just not cricket. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know what it's just not cricket means, but I like it. That must be British. I thought you were going to refer to, like, Chekhov's gun, which is what. Right. I mean, I wanted to use that. It's just because we're both in theater. And so, like, I wanted to 
use that one, but also just it's just it's, not cricket. It's just not cricket. It's just not done. I guess. Yeah. And so I don't even play cricket over here. Yeah. Does anybody play? Write to us if you play cricket. I really want to know. Yeah. I I just thought that was funny. <laughs> uh, this one I thought was funny and weird. Oh. Um, <laughs> it is okay. Yeah. Um, so when listing the circumstances in which an exclamation point should be used, she she does lists of like, this is when you might use a comma, yes. this is whatever. And so in the chapter about exclamation points, first thing on the list is in involuntary ejaculations. Yeah, like we would say exclamations. I. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um <laughs> I don't think that was a good enough reason to use the word ejaculations, and I like to think that not too many of those are involuntary. <laughs> um, At least past puberty. Yeah. <laughs> and the example after this was, phew, Lord love a duck. <laughs> oh, That's, dear. Phew, Lord love a duck. That is the involuntary ejaculation. Oh, that's there are so I was gonna bring this up later, but I'll bring it up now. Many books that are originally published in the UK, like this one, you know, are published there with their own little phrases like this, and then when they do the US edition, they change all these little Britishisms, mm -hmm. whatever we want to call them. Um that's why like if you buy Harry Potter in the UK, it's a little different. Yeah. They did not change a thing. No. In this book. I guess because it's about punctuation and conventions and they didn't want to wade through all that. I don't know, I'm speculating. But yeah. They changed nothing. One of the main things I remember from this book that I read probably 15 years ago is I kept reading it and she kept using examples about opal fruits. Yeah, which are starbursts. Yeah, it took me forever. I was like, opal fruits? What are opal fruits? That's at starbursts in Great Britain. Yeah, um, and the only reason, well, she eventually tells you that in this book, yeah. but the only reason I knew that is because I recently listened to Harry, Prince Harry's um, memoir, oh. where he refers also to opal fruits. And he was like, by the way, they're called starbursts in America. <laughs> yeah, like Smarties in the UK are actually like M&Ms here. Like, they have a candy called Smarties, but they're chocolate. They're not like our Smarties, like those little powdery. Yeah. Chocolate. No. It, yeah. Candy. Well, that's just nonsense. When you go to another country, candy is named differently, and it's weird and kind of fun. I, whenever I go to another country, I always make a point to go to the grocery store. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Now I really want to go traveling, like, just so I can go down <laughs> the candy aisle and be like, what on earth is this? An yep. opal fruit? Uh-huh. <laughs> Which I was like, that's... That's a pretty name, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I kind of like it better than Starburst, but, like... It's more accurate to what the thing is. Sure, I yeah. Guess. What's a, um, What the heck is a Starburst? I, I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> so I liked the tone. I liked the humor. Right. I also learned stuff. I legitimately did not know a bunch of those things about apostrophes. Right. There's a long chapter on apostrophes and mm -hmm. a bunch of different uses, and it's like, um, in this exact circumstance with dates, you do use it, but in this circumstance with dates, you don't use it, and oh, with yes. this one, it's this, and in this one, it's this, and I'm like, listen, I'm not going to remember all of that. I appreciate that you know all of that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I know most of that, and will forget some of it. That's fine. Um, there but, are people paid to know those things, even for, like, published writers. They're not... They yeah. pay copy editors. Right. You don't need to know it unless that's your job. So I legitimately did learn stuff. It wasn't just like, cool, thanks for telling me what a comma is. I already know what a comma is. There were, I mean, tons of things in this book I did not know. Doesn't she also go through a little bit of the history of some of the punctuation yeah. marks? Yeah, mm -hmm. and there was a lot of stuff about, like, typefaces and stuff like that. And oh, I'm a graphic designer. That's right. And so they talked about, like, the person who invented you know, 
like the Roman Times New Roman right. typeface and the first person to use it in italics. And that's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk to me about a font. <laughs> <laughs> that's a new sticker we need to make. <laughs> So I I liked that stuff. Of course, I did not know the history behind commas. Yeah, that's fine. Um, But it is interesting that things that we consider just completely standard, it's always been this way. They used to do wackadoo stuff with... Oh, yes. I did find that interesting. The history of the English language is a funny and fraught place, if you ever want to dive down that rabbit hole. So, should I move on to things that I didn't like? Yes, please do. So here's how we got to being a two. Okay. I do not like being insulted while being taught. Um, (laughs) So in the 11th grade, my history teacher stood up in front of the class after we'd turned in papers and talked about how one of the students in this room was a bad writer and was Mm. frankly rather stupid. You've told me this story. Because this writer was spelling the past tense of lead L-E-A-D instead of L-E-D. And while the rest of my class was laughing about it and making jokes, I was like genuinely confused and upset because that writer was me. I'm sorry, but read is R-E-A-D and read is R-E-A-D. Lead is L-E-A-D. And there's a different word in the English language, lead, L-E-A-D, as in lead-based paint. Forgive me That's a for pretty... getting that one confused. I, first of all, shame on that teacher, because I would never point something out like that to the class. Yeah, like, that didn't feel like the right way to handle it no, at all. No, but second of all, if that's the most egregious error he was dealing with, I mean, c- good on your school, because yeah. I've seen way worse than that, and that's pretty understandable, as you just outlined. Yeah, like, the English language is bananas oh, sometimes. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like, the past tense of lead should be led. Uh, I'm sure you can find, like, a YouTube video or a TikTok video, like, of something, you know, people being like, oh, it's like this, no, but this, no, but I've seen a bunch of those. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous, and it's completely understandable that I didn't know that. Yes, I was mm-hmm. in 11th grade. But I don't remember being taught that specifically. I guess I was supposed to pick it up at some point in time. But, I mean, that was 15 years ago, and I still remember that moment of being taught how to do something differently in a way that embarrassed people. Right, right. So I felt that way in this book about the difference between its and its. That's I-T apostrophe S and I-T-S. I learned the correct difference between those things two years ago. Oh. Um, I had our friend Lauren, who is an English professor and who has done a guest episode with us, um, read through part of my manuscript, and I was going over her corrections, and I saw that she had noted a correction of IT apostrophe S to ITS. And so I texted Lauren, I was like, listen, we put in an apostrophe S for things that are possessive. Yes. And... The following item belongs to it. It is its. Your logic is sound. Uh, Therefore, it should be I-T apostrophe S, right? And she explained the rules to me, and I understood, and I've gotten it correct ever since. And she was very kind. She was like, well, we don't put an apostrophe S with, like, hers. Right, pronouns. Yeah, and so... We actually do follow this convention for other words that you've known your entire life. This falls into that category. And, like, now that I've been taught how to think about it, I never forget. I'm never, like, I don't remember. It follows the same convention as his and hers and theirs. Got it. 
This is another reason why pronouns are my least favorite parts of speech. Right. Um, and so in this book, quote, the confusion of the possessive it's no apostrophe with the contractive it's with apostrophe is an unequivocal signal of illiteracy and sets off a simple Pavlovian kill response in the average stickler. This is very easy to grasp. It is easy to grasp if you have been taught it. Mm -hmm. Once I was taught it, I understood and I have not gone back to it. I don't know if like the teacher who was supposed to teach me that skipped that if I was absent that day. If it's just like, I'm a smart person. I'm yeah. not illiterate. I'm far from illiterate. And I didn't know that until I was like 27. Yeah. And I don't understand how I got this far in the world without being corrected on that beforehand because I've written a bunch of papers. I wrote research papers in middle well, school, high school, and college. It's very possible many teachers, if they're not English teachers, also aren't going to catch the difference. Right. And also, I think, to your point, you may you had a good teacher in this instance, but you also cared. Like, she's saying, oh, well, if you don't know this, but also, she, people have to care about it. Like, yeah. there's a lot of people like, who cares? Like, yeah, I went over that with my class, but how many of my students actually cared? You wrote something, had a friend read it, wanted feedback, asked a question about it. It was actually meaningful to you. Right. Which is what learning has to be for it to actually stick. I'll get off my teacher soapbox. But... No, but that's true. Like, you can't make someone care. No. And there are, I'm sure, plenty of people who have been taught the difference between there, there, and there. And they're just like, whatever. What does it matter? Right. I think it does matter because your meaning is not clear. Right. And especially in, like, a professional circumstance, you're putting off a certain vibe. Like, it does matter. I would correct somebody, but I would not shame them. Right. Um, so trust seems to relentlessly abuse and mock people who do not know things. And um, I'll admit that the punctuation errors that she cites, those are mistakes that drive me crazy, too. I mean, right. CDs with CD apostrophe S. And it's like, DVDs. What do the DVDs own? <laughs> yeah. She used so many examples that I was like, <laughs> that oh, yeah. drives me crazy. Um but I wouldn't find it particularly helpful to call people who aren't properly educated barbarians, heathens, idiots, morons, etc. If they happened to read this book, perhaps knowing that they didn't understand punctuation the way they should, they would probably put it down sad or angry or both. Mm -hmm. And as that quote from the foreword or whatever, like, for the select few, it is kind of written for, like, the English teacher who wants to just have a geek out about punctuation. Right. But if someone did think like, I don't know, maybe I could learn this and this looks like it's written in an accessible way. Mm -hmm. And then you just get called a moron 14 times. Right. I, I don't know. You picked up a book about punctuation and tried to read it. Yeah. I just didn't love that element yeah. of her humor. Do you think she set out to try and write like a handbook on punctuation or a, a humor book? Which is its own, like, section in Barnes & Noble, you know? Yeah, I mean... Or did she try to do both and muddle the waters a bit and kind of fail at both a little? <laughs> I suspect it had to be both a little because, like, it can't, it can't just be a humor book. The majority of the content is teaching you how to use punctuation. Right. Like, the majority of these pages are broken down into lists. Like, right. this is one way to use this. Mm -hmm. This is the circumstances that are the exception, blah, blah, blah. It is an instruction manual for punctuation. 
And I like that she tried to be humorous to make it accessible. I mean, this mm -hmm. book started out as a four for me, and I never would have kept reading a book on punctuation, even if I am like, right. I want to be a published writer. I'm gonna Google it. I'm not right. Gonna, like, right. I'm not gonna read a book that details the ins and outs of when to use a comma. That's fine. <laughs> um, but that tone could keep people going, and it was written 20 years ago. Sure, but, like, but still, it, pedago it, good pedagogy is good pedagogy. Right, you know. and like I know that British humor humor can be like drier and more oh, sarcastic. But that's true. It definitely, to me, tipped itself past the line into insulting. Right, and I ultimately found it to be classist, racist, mm. and ableist in a lot of ways. I think you're hitting on a lot of the common criticisms that came out even around the time it was published. Yeah. Which I'll share a couple later. While mourning the fact that so few people are, are like properly educated, she speaks nothing to systems in place that would impact whether or not a person in their early right. 20s knows what an Oxford comma is. She makes no mention of education reform, public school funding, bridging the education gap between the classes, how people of color and white people are likely to get different kinds of education. She never takes into account systemic racism or generational poverty. She just calls these people dumb. Right. And that's overlooking a big factor. You're right. If someone goes to a good school and has a good teacher who uses good pedagogy to teach them and they decide, I don't give a crap. Right. I don't want to learn this. I'll, I'll go ahead and call that person uneducated or dumb or whatever. Like you're making a choice not to know things that help you navigate this world. You have all these resources right in front of you and you're choosing not to use them. Sure. Well, if it's a choice, I also, I wouldn't even entirely blame the student. Part of teaching and part of what we're taught in good pedagogy is you have to motivate students. Like, yeah, you have to give them some, some reason. And for some students, it's just to get it right on a test, to take the ACT and get into college, and then they'll forget it. But, you know, you do need to show them the importance, like you elucidated on the importance of why you should know the difference between there, there, and there. Like, Yeah, I've been legitimately confused in people's right. messages, like, I, what? That's also part of the teacher's job. It, yeah. it, not the entire burden, certainly. There are those students that just, you know, yeah. don't care. There's nothing you can say to make them care. Right. But if you didn't get a good education, or if you had to drop out of school early because of poverty well that's or what i was going to bring up i've had many students come through my classroom and i know i've taught these things but they're taking care of their young siblings at home while their one parent is working yeah or they're dealing with abuse or yeah like not... sorry i didn't do my homework right like... they don't care about apostrophes <laughs> you know like hierarchy of needs like exactly. i don't know where my next meal is coming from exactly. i don't care about your apostrophes which is another thing you're taught as a teacher in, you know, right. in your education classes. And the fact is, people who are poor are less likely to know these things. Right. People of color are more likely to be poor, both here and in the UK. People with learning disabilities, like dyslexia or oh, whatever. Yes. Whatever it's called when your brain, Kyle and our friend Emily both have this, where your brain doesn't process phonics. So, like, a lot of us learned how to spell using phonics, which is, like, what something, yeah. what a letter by, sounds like. By phonemes, like. breaking a yeah. down. Yeah. I know at least two people who are well-educated who, like, their brain just doesn't do that. They just have to memorize how things are spelled. Yeah, I that whole, like, sound it out, that's not a thing for them. There's also dysgraphia. I've had students with that where they're, like, 
a ability to write, like yeah. physically write, and so that affects. All so of that. even if someone like Kyle and Emily, they got good educations, but they would simply have a harder time grasping certain grammar mm -hmm. and spelling concepts. So to call these people stupid was perhaps not the best way to go about making her point. Yep. If you're so bothered by why the adult who sells DVDs on the sidewalk might not know that DVDs requires no apostrophe, it might behoove oneself to think critically <laughs> for just a minute about why a person who's selling DVDs on the sidewalk for a living might not know that information. Like, right. Whoo, your ivory tower doesn't yes. see well over the rest of the world. Um, at one point, she uses the N-word with Oh, a, she does? Oh. In an example, oh, okay. in an example, she uses the N-word with the hard E-R at the end, fully spelled out with no asterisk or anything. And I, that was just not cricket. No, <laughs> that's not cricket. I, again, I wonder if they would have changed that for the U.S. I, I don't know. I don't know, but I... I got hot in the face. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I think that's a bold choice. Mm -hmm. I would not have thrown in that that one. Especially when you're writing something that's, again, very niche. Uh -huh. uh, if I'm being nice, elitist if I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was surprised by the full spelling and uh, by, by the hard ER, and I just thought, okay, white writer, maybe... Maybe you shouldn't use that particular example. She had plenty of others. Sure. And I happen to love the way that language changes and adapts. And we yes. have talked about this on yes. this podcast. Mm -hmm. I have always found something really beautiful in the way that language changes. And we talked about it on The Power, about like the slang yes. that gets adapted based on things that happen. And in Orcs and Craig. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And like, ain't? Ain't a real word, except that everyone knows exactly what you mean, and people use it colloquially, so... It is. And sometimes it's the best word to use to get a certain point across. Like, yes. you and I don't talk like that, but sometimes to emphasize something, you and I have both used that word to drive something home. It's a word. I know it doesn't make any sense, mm -hmm. but it is. And, like, things that are nouns become verbs. Yes, you can Google somebody now. Yeah, um... It speaks to who we are as a society and what things we do and what things we value. And so to be a stickler about this is not how you're supposed to do it, if that's how everyone decides that it is going to be done, then I'm, I'm not saying throw out all the rules. No. Because I love a good rule. I also, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I also really like grammar and I love the Oxford comma. Yes. I don't. I'm not a no grammar rules person, but I really think the development of language is a really beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. And um, her elitist take on it is very white and British, and the white British have a monarch. So maybe they're not super into <laughs> changing things. No, she actually, when I was um, researching her for the podcast, one little tidbit I had about her that I wasn't sure if I'd share, but I'll share now, is she was one of the 200 like public personas that signed a letter to the Guardian in 2014 asking that Scotland please remain part of the UK. Don't become your own country. Mm. So, you know, it's just Yeah. Yeah. Uh you're giving off very monarch vibes. Yeah. So that's fine. Um and I think perhaps some of the issues we're raising are beyond the scope of what this book is supposed to be. 
doesn't right. mean they're not still things we should bring up and talk about. I know that she didn't set out to write like a political commentary about right. the education system, but to have an entire if she hadn't been insulting either, I think it wouldn't have bothered me. Right. It's the fact that she called people morons while taking no time to address why someone might not know that. If she had never called anyone a moron or an idiot or a heathen, it's a good point. It would have just been like, okay, I mean, this is just a a nerdy book about punctuation. Some people don't have that kind of education, whatever. But it's the fact that she drove home frequently, how stupid certain people were. I think that's that a, needed a qualifier. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. You're definitely getting David Brent, not Michael Scott, mm-hmm. in this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fair. I hate it because the approachable tone could have made a book about punctuation interesting. Right. And so the fact that it veered just over that line into insulting and uh, couldn't see the line anymore when using the N-word, right. um, I want... I want her or someone else to just, like, roll it back a little bit and try this again so that in 20 years people can be reading a legitimately good, approachable, interesting, compact book that teaches you how to properly use punctuation without the insults and elitism and... Good idea. Yeah. I have a book recommendation for you. Okay. Because she wrote a book after this one addressing some of the criticisms of it. Okay. It's called Talk to the Hand. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which doesn't sound like an apologetic approach. It I own, like, this is another Michael Scott moment. <laughs> read it. I own it. But no, I haven't read it. <laughs> um, I, it I have it, and I, and I have never read it. So I don't know. Um, but apparently, according to Wikipedia, <laughs> in that book she acknowledges okay. a lot of the criticism that came out at the time it was published, I don't know if it's all exactly the same as yours. Reviewers did point out that they did not love her holding up on a pedestal the, the grammar bullies and the grammar fascist, as they mm-hmm. called them, you know, and, and giving them too much of a platform. Yeah. It seemed very... Obviously, English is the superior language. Like, oh, sure. It, sure. And, like... English is a very widespread language because of colonialization (laughs) or colonization. Um, Colonialism, colonization. I got there eventually. Potato, potato. (laughs) Um, And, like, obviously, most commerce is done in English, and I speak English. I'm pro-English, but I'm not going to be like, it's the world's most beautiful and superior language, and... It's the one you should know. Most beautiful? No. <laughs> Most convoluted history? Perhaps. Yeah. I. It, she's very in love with the English language. And I was like, there are other ones that other people speak too, and they're just as valid. Yes. yes. Um, one of the reviews I read that came out at the time in The New Yorker is um, Louis Manan's review. I think it's called That Bad Comma or The Bad <laughs> Comma. And he... I think he's pretty fair about it, but he's certainly not just wholesale endorsing it. He brings up some of these criticisms that we've brought up. 
He also, did you notice any punctuation errors in the book? I thought I did. You did. <laughs> you did. And he points them out in his review, but chalked them up to British laxness, because again, they're, right. it's British. Uh, and I love this quote. <laughs> he said, an English woman lecturing Americans on semicolons is a little like an American lecturing the French on sauces. <laughs> like, really? You're going to, like, we've got this handled a little better than you. <laughs> we've got this handled. We took, we took all those U's out of, like, color and, you know, <laughs> this. So whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, he also, his review kind of devolves into just this examination of language. And he talks about the difference between correctness in grammar and then the aesthetics of language. Mm -hmm. And there are whole languages that use punctuation for aesthetic purposes, I, not for clarity or correctness. That is awesome to me. Right. Again, I'm a graphic designer. Exactly. I love a font. One thing that I learned at my very first week on my job, like I've mentioned, people at my job work in Canada, and they use colons and exclamation points a little bit differently. There's a space between the word and the colon oh, yes. and a mm -hmm. space between the end of the sentence and the exclamation point. And so my first assignments, I'm in here deleting spaces like, how leaving spaces between. And then they were like, nope, that's how we keep it in Canada. And I was like... That is more attractive, though, on the colon. Right. And I do it now because if something is more aesthetically pleasing, you know. Well, and that's also part of what Manan talks about in his New Yorker review is that's also part of how a writer develops that all elusive but all important voice. Yeah. Like, you do have to know the rules. But in order to bend or break them even and to use them in creative ways, we even mentioned the book last week, Conversations with Friends, never uses quotation marks. Yeah. You know, and there we've already mentioned authors in this podcast that use punctuation creatively. E. Cummings. You've got Ernest Hemingway, who I think stole all the periods from James Joyce. He <laughs> never uses them, whatever, you know. And you do have to know the rules first in order to do that well, but yeah. there's still room for play. But I like finding a writer where mm -hmm. I'm like, they really like using this particular sentence structure that like yes. has a semicolon and does this. And some people, it, it's like, why would I ever do that with a semicolon? Like, right. I'm just going to make a new sentence. And I yeah. like figuring out what kind of person you are by reading your book. Oh, you're a semicolon person. Right. And, oh, you can tell. Yeah, yes. or and you're a you're a list person. You like to list off things and you like to just make a new sentence out of it. Right. And, oh, I've even told students that I've had like, I can see you're an efficient writer. Like because of the way they structure their sentences. They just want to get to the point, you know, and then I have some that throw a metaphor into every other sentence. Sure. <laughs> you know? So and it's all valid and it's all that's part of writer's voice, which is hard to teach but you know really important for good writing yeah and manan points that out and he he thinks that she mixes up those two things about punctuation correctness and aesthetics and muddies the water a bit but then he just chalks it up to the fact that she was clearly only motivated by two things which is her ire at erroneous apostrophe use mm -hmm. and then also the breakdown of language in technology like emails yeah mm -hmm. um and i i get that but it sounded very like kids these days with oh, their yeah. emails and their text messages. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Instead of their corrupting our language, you should recognize they're creating a new language. Yeah, they're creating it. I mean, mm -hmm. 
I like waxed poetic about TikTok isms to you a couple months mm -hmm. ago, and like I'm too old for TikTok. I understand that. <laughs> I'm not ever gonna make one ever. Right. Um, but I, <laughs> I do like scroll through, and there's an entire language that exists there, and Absolutely. then and then that language comes offline, just the same way that the millennial LOL came offline, and now right. it exists out in the world. It's a it does not mean what you think it means. Yeah. And yet it exists as its own entity and it's not going anywhere. And it's I think that's exciting. I like think it's exciting too. is happening and we can see it in such a visceral way with technology. Yes, it does make some things complicated, but in the same way that when anything new happens, you've got to kind of wade through those weeds for a while and figure yeah. out, you know, and bridge that generational gap because again language the whole purpose is to clearly convey your message so if you're not yeah. doing that there's a problem but and i think i i believe in a properly written email i don't mm -hmm. shoot off emails that don't have punctuation or anything like that but i also think it's perfectly appropriate to have back and forth email correspondence that's casual right you know have you ever noticed how with emails when you're like when you have a back and forth email exchange, the first couple they divert. Like, yeah, the first couple will include like a salutation and an ending. You know, thanks. And then as you go, it just becomes one sentence, one sentence. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Is you know, if you're just going back and you're communicating, mm -hmm. we're talking. Mm -hmm. You're digitally doing what we're doing right now, and there's, mm -hmm. you know, mistakes and stutters and interruptions and whatever, and that's fine. It's not a novel. We're not publishing it. Right. It's an email correspondence. I'm trying to get a message across to someone quickly. I don't think it's bad that that has adapted to its purpose. Well, that and that's the thing. When we teach writing, you have to be mindful of your purpose and your audience, as yeah. well as your message. Those two things are just as important. So you have to know what's going to communicate clearly to whatever audience it is. Is it a younger audience? Is it an older audience? And then what is your purpose? Yeah, and if my purpose is there is a meeting at four, I don't think there's any reason right. to, <laughs> to... But if your purpose is to win, you know, a Man Booker Prize with your sure. beautiful prose, go at it with those metaphors, sure. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's exciting to me. I've, yeah, yeah. I like thinking about language. So I definitely did find the book interesting. Right. I mean, because I like talking about this stuff. I like understanding the way things have changed. Mm -hmm. And for someone who <laughs> knows the history of how the use of commas has changed, she's very persnickety about the way like language is adapting now. And it's like, how do you think that, that yes. that's called adaptation? And she's <laughs> not alone. I've run into that frequently, yes. Yeah. Um, so I did find it interesting but because of the disconnect in, yeah and because of the insulting tone and that's fair so it went from a four-ish to a two for me i think your criticisms are valid thank you mm -hmm. so do you want to know a little bit about the history of the book sure and the author so it's an ancient book from 20 years I know, ago <laughs> it's 20 years old <laughs> uh, yeah published in 2003 and in 2004 it became a new york times bestseller I, I've that's seeing runaway bestseller. That's the crazy thing about this book is, I mean, she wrote it. So it was inspired by a radio show. She was doing a show on BBC Radio 4 called Cutting a Dash. So when you mentioned yeah. earlier she had people writing in. Yeah, that's what. That's what it's from. She, she did a radio show. And so she thought, I'll write this book. And it was, nobody expected this. <laughs> I mean, the subtitle is A Zero Tolerance Approach to Punctuation. How right. is that? 
at all. I guess because there's a panda on the cover. People were like, I don't know. I'll I give don't it a know. try. And it's got an interesting title. We haven't talked about the title yet, but of course it's um, it's a joke. Yeah. It's a joke along the same veins of the let's eat grandma joke that I feel like gets bandied about a lot here in the U.S. Except mm-hmm. it's the opposite. You know, panda bears eat shoots and leaves. So there should not be a comma between the verb and the objects that they are eating. But somebody put a comma, so he walks into a bar, eats, and then takes out a gun and shoots and then leaves. And the bartender's like, what's that about? And he says, oh, here, look it up. And, like, hands him the manual on pandas, I guess. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's got a catchy title. It is engaging with its humor, so I guess that's why it's a commercial success. Um, Good on her, I suppose. (laughs) She adapted it into a children's version in 2006. A little baby, like... (laughs) I'm assuming the insults are not as present. (laughs) A punctuation primer for children. Yeah, um, like 32 pages. And then an illustrated version came out in 2008. Okay. So she's gotten a lot of mileage out of this one. Lynn Truss herself, um, she was born in May... She was born in Surrey, England on May 31st, 1955. So she's 68. She was educated at Tiffin Girls School and University College London, where she earned a first-class degree in English. I don't know what that means. A first-class de- degree? First-class? Like, uh, is that like... Is that a kind of burn? Summa cum laude? <laughs> what? I don't know. Anyway, their education system is different than ours. Whatever. Um, she started as a literary editor, and she worked for The Times in London. First, she was a TV critic for six years, and then she was a sports journalist for four years. I cannot see that. She actually, so she wrote Eats, Shoots, and Leaves. She wrote Talk to the Hand. And then her next book in 2009 was called Get Her Off the Pitch, How Sports Took Over My Life. So she wrote a whole book about those four years being a sports journalist. Go figure. Um, I already mentioned she hosted her own BBC radio program about punctuation called Cutting a Dash. But look, she's written a ton of stuff. She's written novels. She's written other nonfiction books. And she's written a lot of dramas, mostly for radio. Interesting. But a lot of radio dramas. So okay. she she is busy. I'm I'm interested in the novels. Like, what are they are they about commas? <laughs> I don't think so. But they're you already mentioned one. They're pretty niche. Like Yeah. So yeah, that's a little bit about good old Lynn and uh, her book, but congratulations to her, I guess, for an unprecedented yeah. success. I- her mom thought this is for a select few, and alas, uh, lots of people bought it and read it and yeah. liked it. I don't know. Maybe two thousand three was just <laughs> not a lot. <laughs> what what was going on in two thousand three that people were like, you know what we need? We need a witty grammar. Like That's what we need. Yeah, I don't know. I was in middle school. I think you would. Yeah, we would have been thirteen. Yeah, thirteen, fourteen. Oh yeah, I was playing volleyball. Yeah. Not well. <laughs> I I can't think of anything in the early aughts that just like screams, you know, zero tolerance. I remember what I was to punctuation. I was reading all those murder mysteries. You remember those cat who mysteries? The cat who? No. Oh, there's like twenty something. I was not a reader at thirteen. Oh, I well, th- they were my friends. <laughs> my books, but yeah, the cat who saw red, the cat who ate Danish modern, the cat who blah blah blah. I've never heard of these mysteries, and there's a cat and. <laughs> I caught that much. Yeah, I don't know. And just all those, like, serial mystery novels, I was eating those up. I would go to my grandma's house and borrow them. and That's awesome. I would keep a little, like, diary in my agenda at school of the books I had read. That is adorable. Uh, Yeah. I love that (laughs) for you. It is now. (laughs) Anyway. 
Would you like to read some one-star reviews Absolutely about Absolutely I would. Okay. Okay. So, okay, here we go. John says, This book was a waste of my time. Think of an old guy yelling at a bunch of kids to get off his lawn. Then put that sentence in really good grammar, and that is this book. <laughs> That's apt. Joey said, This book made me angry. It is prescriptivist, which is fine, I guess. I mean, you've got to expect that from a book about grammar written for popular consumption. But what the author clearly thinks is charming snark just comes across as snideness, and it's impossible to tolerate from someone who clearly has no understanding of linguistics. I don't mind stupidity, but I hate stupidity mixed with a superiority complex. I just really liked that last that sentence. La- I, I can get on board with that. <laughs> Stupidity's fine, but you can't be stupid and superior. No, that's 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 true. <laughs> Marcus wrote, buckle up, this is a long one. The problem for this reader, at least, is that the book is unapologetically British. <laughs> On page 15. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's in, in Roman numerals. It's in Roman numerals. <laughs> it basically says, this rule book was originally written for a British audience, and this edition is for the North American market, where we acknowledge the rules of punctuation are different. But we didn't change anything. It's better that way, really. You'll love it. <laughs> I guess they forgot that the point of the book isn't to tell hilarious anecdotes about pandas, but to teach those poor souls who can't place a comma how to do so. Not changing the book for North America is like releasing the zero-tolerance approach to medical care by taking a veterinary textbook and adding an introduction that says, okay, so not everything in this book will be right for people, but you know, whatever. (laughs) I assume most Americans who read this book are reading it because they are conscious of their lack of punctuation, know-how, and wish to make improvements. If you're that guy and you see every piece of terminal punctuation in the zero-tolerance approach to punctuation floating outside of quotes like an astronaut about to asphyxiate in the vacuum of space, then you're going to start putting it there as well. And then every American editor is going to think you're a dumbass <laughs> because of this book. <laughs> That's true. And I thought that one was fair. Like, I acknowledge that Americans do it different. Mm-hmm. We're not going to change any of yes, the things Yes, that in this was book. a big one. In the UK, they put periods and commas outside of quotation marks. Mm-hmm. We do not. Yes. So I wondered if you had noticed that. Mm-hmm. And finally, Tiffany writes... I recommend this book to people going to grad school, English majors, and those who no longer want friends. (laughs) Well, thanks for still being my friend, Stephanie. I am still your friend. Because I have gone to grad school and am an English teacher. (laughs) I got you, buddy. We're still friends. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, that was fun. All right. Well, um, next week we will be talking about Wish You Were Here by Jody Pico. Okay. Like Pico de Gallo? Yes. <laughs> Just like Pico de Gallo. I was listening to another one of her books this week, which, by the way, was wonderful. I well, loved it. Is it the one for book club? Yes. Okay. Um, and she introduces the book and she's like, I'm Jody Pico. And I was like, I've been calling you Picolt. For a decade. Don't say the L and the T. Sorry about that. So she taught me how to say her name. So we will be talking next week about Wish You Were Here by Jody Pico. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love. And the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hatethisbookpod. Special thanks to the Montague Workshop. See you next week.
Lord Love a Duck.